0: X-Rated Movies! I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm
1: one half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon.
0: And good God damn it, this is our 100th episode. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> As a celebration, I have a little champagne here for us. Let's see,
1: Dom Perignon, never heard of it.
0: It's a, you know, new brand, let's see, what's the month on this thing? May. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, I mean, cheers. (laughs) You'll you'll work out soon. I'll get a sound effect for that. 100 episodes. Can you believe it? Wow. And this is what, Christmas Eve? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) We should be spending this time with our family. (laughs) What are we doing here? It's been a wild ride with you, Ryan. I
1: can't believe it. You know, when we started this thing, I really was just thinking it'd be a fun little farce. Maybe get it, you know. 10, 20 movies under our belt. And then we both want to do something else. And, uh, it's just turned out to be too damn fun.
0: Now we're just planning like years ahead. Yeah. (laughs) We're like, when we do episode 500, let's do. (laughs) That's the one we're doing in Paris, right? Yeah. (laughs) The top of the Eiffel tower. (laughs) We're going to do it with Claire Denis, of course. Oh yeah. Revisit episode number one, Beau Travail. (sighs) That feels like so long ago. It really does. I, I just moved to this apartment. Oh, yeah. Your couch was in a different space. Yes, that's true. I remember because I had ripped the movie from DVD, which I had rented at Scarecrow. Hopefully one day promotional consideration provided by. Mm-hmm. And I'd rented it years and years ago, but didn't have time to watch it in the week that I'd rented it and ripped it to my computer. And like there it stayed for years and years and years. And then you were like, let's do this podcast. I want the first episode to be Beau Travai. And I was like, way ahead of you. Gotcha. Part of me, when I go back and listen to those early episodes, part of me is a little embarrassed. I'm like, mm.
1: I mean, sound quality wasn't great those first 48 or so. (laughs) (laughs) I take full responsibility for that because I'm poor and I only have a certain amount of money for audio equipment. But we have upgraded since then. And uh, now we sound like angels pouring honey in your ear (laughs) don't we
0: (laughs) (laughs) part of me kind of feels like "Mm, i wasted some heavy hitters in those early episodes like Mm. before i really knew how to articulate my thoughts or really how to speak eloquently or or anything like that like i would love to revisit phantom of the paradise sometime sure i could put sound drops in with that I look back at, like, Exorcist 3, which was, like, episode 8 or something, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, fuck, I would love to talk about that movie today, especially now that we've seen the first Exorcist as well. I know. I'm like, ugh, oh, it would just be so rich for comparison. The other part of me, though, feels that I'm kind of glad that we did some of those, like, crazy unknown movies like clean shaven or something like that in the early days because now i feel that like we can talk about some of the better movies like the more well-known movies a little bit more eloquently a little bit with uh, our unique perspective or, or drawing in modern influences or how it actually shaped the culture a little bit better sure so now that like uh the notches in our belt are a little deeper I feel like we can tackle some of the classics a little better mm-hmm. than we could in our early seasons.
1: If I could do it all over again, I would have saved American Anthem for <laughs> a later episode.
0: Clearly the, the <laughs> deepest notch.
1: That was done. an early wad to blow. Um, also Mother. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, there's. I, could, I feel like I could be more articulate
0: about that one now. I just remember when Mother came out, I was like, God, we have like a podcast. And it's like, we have like nine episodes or whatever it was. <laughs> and now I like... A season is just a, you know, drop it's in a the blur. Bucket. Yeah. I mean,
1: this was the... Okay, so since the episode 50, you started doing themes for each season.
0: I kind of tiptoed into it with the earlier season, because all of October I did horror movies. Right. Wasn't but a you season you had some long. on either side, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, either end of it, I think, uh, there was different types of movies. But mm-hmm. part of me is like, you know, when you've watched way too many movies, it was getting hard for me to pick just one. Like, I wanted to do a horror movie for October. I was like, I can't just pick one. But I was like, oh, I have three Mondays, you know, or I'm I'm doing three movies for this October. I'm going to just do three horror movies this whole time. And I don't know, it felt freeing yeah. to do themes as opposed to just one off in a topic that I wanted to talk about. Sure,
1: it gives structure to something that was a little more uh, amorphous, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun because uh, I thrive and just like, pick whatever like whatever my mood is Mm -hmm. Um, and it's nice to kind of structure that around one pick each season that's in your theme because I could never do like the way you're doing it it would drive me nuts okay Um, but I like that the podcast is structured that way and I like that I can choose one from my list that fits into that mold and then go off into left field again
0: I like doing themes a lot lets me explore more in depthly ideas and, and notions that I want to talk about as opposed to just one movie. But I found actually really freeing what I did last season with uh, just movies that shaped our childhood, a lot la large Marge sent us because it didn't tie me to a specific genre. It just, there was just that generic theme, which is really only a theme to me. Mm-hmm. Like the movies that I picked, you know, they, they may have shaped other people's childhoods as well, but they didn't have anything else in common outside of, like, you know, being aired on, like, USA during the <laughs> early 90s. Uh, so I feel like I'm going to try and do that going forward. Okay. Like, less genres and more tenuous themes or conceptual themes.
1: I will say, though, you know, doing specifically action as a genre was really enlightening to me mm. Um, to sort of... See what that tent means and uh, various ways that it's depicted and uh, seeing a fucking Jackie Chan movie, which I've never seen. (laughs) That was great.
0: Yeah. And sometimes like with action movies, I learned how hard they are to talk about. (laughs) He punched real good. Yeah. Like it's hard to talk about action movies. Part of me is just like, just go watch it. You'll, You'll know what I mean once you watch it. You know it's not difficult to talk about? What? Erotic thrillers. You know, like, so the uh, erotic thrillers was the one right after my art house. Sure. Exploration. And the crazy thing about that was that I felt that when we dug in deep to those erotic thrillers, there was more to them there than a lot of those art house movies. Mm, it's that ambiguity, you know, it's all up in the air. You know, like with uh, Basic Instinct... We were really able to dive in deep and find stuff in that. Whereas, you know, some of the other stuff, you know, uh, Soderbergh's Schizopolis, that was really hard to talk about. It kind of seemed after a while, like, it's just surface experimentation. Like, there might not be more to this than meets the eye. It might just be what meets the eye. Whereas some of those erotic thrillers, I'm like, oh, no, there's more. than Like, Crash, like... There was so much to chew on and
1: Crash. I just closed that box. I don't (laughs) want to open it again for a while. Well, this past year also saw the return of some guests, including Bettina McKelvey, Mm -hmm. Kevin Clark, Mm -hmm. and those gayish guys whose names I'm going to (laughs) omit out of spite.
0: (laughs) They know why.
1: (laughs) Also, uh, some new guests because... We got for the first time the Deadbeat Film Society on our podcast for uh, episode 56, Scorchy. Um, John Coons came on to talk about uh, Mother's Boy, episode 75. Uh-huh. And uh, of course, the, the linchpin, Jessica Baxter for Wild at Heart, episode oh 81. God. And let's never forget Devin Sheridan in whatever episode it was that he was on. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just reading this. Devin, who? I'm sorry. <laughs> Was he on the podcast? I don't know. This seems like a misprint. Where's
0: uh, Brenda, our, our intern? Did Who, you make this list? Who's Divine Sheridone? <laughs> this year included Xanadu, Xanadu. Xanadu. Which, of course, I'll never be the same after that. <laughs> it's the new Teen Witch. We revisited many of your nostalgic favorites. Like, not only did we do Flight of the Navigator... But we also did The Fifth Element. Yeah. Uh, You exposed me to, uh, you know, I'm always complaining that you're never exposing me to something new. But you exposed me to Z, which I love, love, loved. And that was the beginning of the fig potato debate. (laughs) A wound that has still not healed. Although you almost caved during the Thanksgiving episode. (laughs) I was tricked into that. (laughs) But you also exposed me to Basil Dearden's victim. Yeah, which was also great, great, great. I'm really trying hard
1: now to get to find that balance between films that I love and films that I know you've never seen.
0: And while I like to think that we're getting better with time, part of me feels that we sort of really hit a peak with our double feature of movies featuring farting corpses. <laughs> I wanted to bring up farting corpses. I'm really
1: glad you you mentioned that because if we ever get enamel pins. Of the okay. podcast, okay, we're getting a farting corpse because <laughs> okay. hey. nothing says X-rated movies like
0: like a farting, farting corpse.
1: corpse.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's uh. That was our last 50 in shorthand, yeah. abbreviated terms. But you know what that means, Matt?
1: Hmm. Every 50 episodes, we got to spin a wheel.
0: So we have a theme with our double features. Usually we either feature an actress or do some sort of theme. Or a director. Or a director. But with the 50s, it's sort of a landmark. And uh, we spin the wheel and, and do two films off the list that we consider verboten otherwise the list that shall not be spoken except for every 50 episodes uh so on episode 50 we rolled the wheel and we got pulp fiction and tootsie
1: and this time we're spinning the afi roulette wheel and we got some like it hot and a clockwork orange for a combo i'm calling (laughs) some like it a clockwork hot
0: orange I feel like there's got to be a better way. Nope, that's the only one. Uh, You made a special drink for us for this specific pairing of films.
1: Unfortunately, it has gone cold, but I call this drink some like it a clockwork hot orange, and it is basically just a hot toddy with some ginger and orange juice instead of lemon juice. So,
0: the orange part, low hanging fruit, literally. (laughs) Uh, why the ginger? Well, I wanted to give it some spice, because,
1: uh, hot was the other word that got me going. Mm, so, mm. my thought process was, uh, orange. And then, my, immediately, I thought, okay, well, bourbon goes well with orange. And then, I was like, what am I going to do with those two, though? we have already done Manhattan's, so that's an easy one. Can't do that. Then, I was like, hot. Let's play with hot. So, I was thinking a hot toddy. But, I also wanted to play with spice, so that's when the ginger came in. And, uh, lo and behold. Anyway, this is okay. okay. It, it's okay. You know, I'm I'm just flying blind here. This is my own concoction. It needs uh I think a little more spice. I wish I would have put a little cloves or some star anise in there or something like that. I have some uh paprika and cayenne. I toyed with the idea of throwing cayenne in there. But um I don't know. You get the ginger in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe if you muddled the ginger.
1: Mm, maybe next time we'll do maybe that. Maybe next time.
0: Yeah. Well, we're just starting. <laughs>
1: Anyway, and we've and we got a bottle of a I was gonna say, Dom Perignon 1876 <laughs> to
0: finish. so We're double fisting. <laughs> Much like the movies that we've talked about today, our drinks are... A little mismatched. <laughs> a little mismatched. But uh, when we did Tootsie and Pulp Fiction, I was able to come up with a tenuous theme. Cool. I was not able to come up with a Maybe tenuous Maybe one theme. will
1: present itself because, uh, you know, Lynn Thigpen didn't show up until we really talked about it. So, <laughs> in the last time we did this. So...
0: Even that was sort of a stretch. (laughs) How dare you talk about Lynn Thigpen that way. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I would prefer to talk about some like it hot first. Okay. I think I do too. That sounds good. I may not have a parallel between the two movies that we've done today, but there's a parallel between this AFI roulette and the previous one. And that's men dressing as ladies. Yes. (laughs) Both comedies about men dressing as ladies. So, obviously, we're going to be starting with...
1: Something like it it hot. Hot.
0: General thoughts on it. You know what? This is such an easy-to-watch movie. It's pretty breezy.
1: It's easy, breezy. You don't have to think at all. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is right there on the surface. I don't think there's anything deeper to this movie than what you get when you're watching it.
0: But let's wildly speculate. Okay. First, let's compare this to Tootsie in terms of, like, who dealt with drag and gender inequities better this or tootsie
1: in terms of um you know mansplaining gender dynamics to me i think this movie does a much better job because it doesn't it's just sort of like hey gender is a thing that is performative isn't that kooky Mm -hmm. and doesn't make a judgment on it doesn't try to teach you a lesson like tootsie did this movie is very much sort of using men in drag as a gag uh-huh. as a joke and doesn't have an agenda mm. like i read that uh the last line of the movie nobody's perfect. nobody's perfect wasn't even supposed to be the last line they just had it as a placeholder and then they filmed it anyway because they couldn't think of anything better and when it aired for test audiences they laughed that was the hardest laugh they got and so he's like great keep it in doesn't matter if it doesn't mean anything
0: I like that. I totally forgotten that that was the last line of the movie. So, like, when the, the end, like, title card came out, I was like, that's it? <laughs> so, I kind of like it because, you know that, like, saying, like, uh, straight men know what consent is when they're in a gay bar? Sure, 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 sure. And I kind of feel like I got a little bit of that vibe when uh, Jack Lemmon's, like, getting on the train, and he trips wearing those heels. Yeah. And the uh, dude slaps him on the butt, and yeah. he just goes, Fresh! Doesn't, uh, doesn't miss a beat <laughs> nope. you know there's that little tinge of like oh he gets it like he, he understands like this is how things are and you just have to roll with it yeah. and, I've been on the other
1: side of this coin yeah just bite your lip and keep moving along mm-hmm. uh, especially 1929 like you know you yeah. couldn't have a tootsie style I mean women were a little more
0: liberated in the flapper era I suppose but still even then Jack Lemon did not pull off being a lady <laughs> tony curtis at least like put a collar on but there was no point that jack lemon's like adam's apple wasn't hitting the oh, camera yeah.
1: especially the swimsuit scene
0: oh, yeah. i was like
1: that's a man <laughs> like marilyn Monroe comments on it she's sort of like i
0: had no idea you're such a big girl oh sugar you should have seen me before i went the diet huh? i mean your shoulders and your arms oh well I- that's from carrying that bull fiddle around all day.
1: There's no way anyone's fooled by that. I know, you got like linebacker shoulders.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was the only part where like my belief was sort of, my suspension of, de- of belief was tested.
0: I forgot that this like dated back to a time when uh, women showed less at the beach than men. Mm-hmm. So when they were talking about going to the beach, I was like, what the fuck is he going to do? Because <laughs> <laughs> even like One Piece is like, in my mind, I'm thinking of like, you know, honey rider in Dr. No or something like that. I'm like, there's no way he's going to be effectively hiding his thunder. (laughs) Like in a one
1: piece, like going to be a meaty tuck, (laughs) which I was looking for. And then I realized, Oh yeah, they had a skirt too. Yeah.
0: Like even the fiercest of tucks couldn't help that. But I was like, Oh no, they're, they put on more clothes to go swimming than, you know, what they wear normally. (laughs) Jack Lemon was pretty good, though, when uh, him uh, and—what was the millionaire's name? It it was something like Fielding the Third. Okay. And they're, like, dancing, like, the tango or something like that. Yeah. And Jack Lemon is, like—suddenly he's, like, into it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fun little uh, cut back and forth. Well, because he's so reluctant, and then, like, after a while, he's like, you know what? I can get into this. Hmm. And I just love because the first scene of him dressed as a woman, he's like, how do women— where these things like i you know i'm struggling to balance here it's like heel toe lady heel toe <laughs> but by the time he's like tango dance he's like mm, he ain't awkward in those heels no more he's walking <laughs> backwards in
1: those a regular yeah. ginger roger's there
0: <laughs> it's like once he got his head in the game he was in it to win yeah
1: yeah and he was excited about getting married he's like i am going to get married and then i'm getting alimony every month
0: <laughs> yeah you know it was weird like after a while jack lemon wasn't too put out by having to dress as a lady. No. He he learned to game the system to his advantage. And he's like this this farce is working out for me. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Curtis, he's definitely the the hit it in in the duo, I feel.
1: Totally. And I when he switches into lady voice, it's the best. <laughs> and the way he like kind of puts his lips out. Hello, Mr. Polyakov. I understand you're looking for a couple of girl
0: musicians. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mhm, mhm,
1: mhm. It's really good. He's kind of a hot babe as a lady. I mentioned this on the uh, cellulite closet episode, but like, oh, did you? Yeah. And I mean, like, Tony Curtis is kind of hot as a lady. Let's be
0: honest. <laughs> you tap that? Yeah, he makes a hot lady. Oh. <laughs> Would you require the dress? Mm. Would the removal of the wig and makeup be like a <laughs> libido killer? You know. It's hard to say. Keep it on, honey. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Curtis, I feel like kind of pulls it off. Like there's no part of Jack Lemmon, like where I feel that that that's a man. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I heard that's why they had to make this movie in black and white was because, uh, the color versions of them and their makeup and everything was quote-unquote grotesque.
0: <laughs> <It'd> be hideous. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you can look online, there's color photos from like behind the scenes of this movie being made and yeah, they look bad. <laughs> yeah. They look busted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Tony Curtis, like he doesn't quite have the extroverted charm as a, of a Jack Lemon, but... I don't know. I was on board with it. Well, I mean, some like it hot. The soundtrack in this was awesome. Yeah, everyone is shitting on
1: Sweet Sue's Society Syncopators, <laughs> but guess what? I think they're a hot little
0: band. They are a hot little band.
1: I mean, I liked them when they're playing in that train car, <laughs> and uh, they're just they're just going for it, which would be really loud. And do there.
0: you think a ukulele? I'm sorry, an ukulele could actually like be heard above all that brass
1: honestly no I think that she was probably not very good and that's why they uh that's why they gave her that instrument she was just pretty they put her in the front row
0: alright so we, we've hit on Jack Lemo we've hit on Tony Curtis we gotta talk about Eminem here this is a great role for her she's a lot of fun watching it now cause I've seen other Marilyn Monroe movies I think this isn't her best performance <laughs>
1: Sorry, I was thinking it should of champagne, but I didn't really want to do a spit take.
0: She's uh, great
1: in it. Whatever.
0: Like, she's good. I don't know if she's
1: great in it. What is she great in, though? Let's be honest.
0: So, all right. She's fine. She's a Hollywood Put up star. your feet. <laughs> loosen your belts. I'm going to go on a rant here. <laughs> I don't think Marilyn Monroe was ever quite as bad as she thought she was. She definitely had it in her head that she was a bad actress. And I don't know exactly where along the Marilyn Monroe timeline this is, but if you watch some of her earlier films, like Don't Bother to Knock or something like that, she's actually pretty good. And somewhere along the line, she got it in her head that she was bad. So she started, like, you know, studying with uh, Stanislavski and, like, learning, like, the method, method of acting and really tried to, you know, go through that, like the Marlon Brando route of acting. And I think she got in her head too much and became bad by overthinking it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like she just overthought this role.
1: I could see that. There are moments though where she's just like having a ball, and that's when she's her best. Like that scene uh on the beach with when Junior when Tony Curtis becomes Junior, she's just having fun. She's mm-hmm. just reading these lines, she's lying a little bit, you know? Yeah. She she says like the Sheboygan Institute or whatever, <laughs> Sheboygan Conservatory, like Like, she's just having fun. There's a line, um... What was another one that I really liked of hers? Look, if you're interested in whether I am married or not...
0: Oh, I'm not interested at all. Well, I'm not. That's very interesting.
1: When she's singing, she looks great, too.
0: I mean, she looks great when she's singing. She's not a great singer. But she's emoting what's going on
1: there. Like, she looks great there. She's, uh... I mean, I agree with you that she may be in her head a little bit, but um, she's perfectly serviceable. That's
0: not, yeah. that, that, that sounds like faint praise. Like you're I'm, talking about how when that. she's just like having fun is when she's at her best. Kind of does make a little bit of sense because uh, what is it? In gentlemen's prefer blondes? Did you ever see that one? Yeah, long time ago. So like, she's trying to marry a millionaire in that one too. And she, like, is looking at, like, the dinner menu, because they're, like, on a cruise. Mm-hmm. And she's looking at, like, the seating arrangements. And she's like, who's this, like, uh, uh, young man who, or this, this like, the name on, on the seating arrangements. Like, he doesn't have anyone sitting next to him. I, I want to sit next to that guy. And uh, the, you know, Mater D is like, oh, you don't want. And she's like, just make it happen. Make it happen. And, like, she thought it was going to be, like, a young eligible bachelor. And it's, like, a six-year-old. I'll help you for two reasons. Never mind the reasons, just help me. The first reason is I'm too young to be sent to jail. The second reason is you've got a lot of animal magnetism. But she had a lot of fun like working with that six year old. Like her and that six year old just were on the same wavelength and really got along. And, like, that's the best part of Gentlemen's Preferred Blondes. Like, in my book, is, like, just her having fun with this kid who's, like, very proper and, like, treats her like a proper lady. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, like, she let her guard down while playing with this kid. So, like, you saying, like, just having fun with the roles when she's at her best does make sense to me.
1: Like, I love the the scene in this movie when they're on the train and she sneaks down to thank Jack Lemon for claiming the flask was his uh, when it falls out of her hip. Um, And she's just like, let's have a little snuggle party. Mm. And she just seems like a fun little girl. Mm -hmm. You know, like she's, I mean, she's a woman, but she's just... I think that's part of her appeal has always been that, like, she's sexy, but she's also girlish. Mm-hmm.
0: When I was a little girl on cold nights like this, I used to crawl into bed with my sister. We'd cuddle up under the covers and pretend we were lost in a dark game. Eh, we're trying to find our way out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it sounds like she's really telling a memory of her childhood or something like that. And she's mm-hmm. just enjoying... This uh, reminiscence kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like there, there's a few scenes where she is really kind of able to just let herself go. Especially the scenes where she's supposed to just be having a good time. But, I don't know, some of the more serious scenes just don't fly with me. I, like, when I really, she's
1: drunk, she's acting drunk. It's pretty obvious. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I just, I really feel like she just got in her head too much that she, she wasn't a good actress when she was perfectly fine. yeah. And part of me is like, ugh, like, I wish people just didn't tell her she was bad. Otherwise, she would have been a perfectly fine actress.
1: Yeah, it's an all about Eve syndrome, which she's in. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. It's oh. like I think that movie kind of like
0: fucked with her. Why that movie?
1: Well, because she's the one who's supposed to be this up and the up and comer, right? Who's like mm-hmm. replacing the actually talented mm-hmm. one, if I'm remembering all
0: bodies correctly. I thought she was just the critic's little squeeze, but it's been a while since I've seen that one too. Okay. But
1: it's like maybe that sort of got into her head that like she needs if she's going to keep climbing up this ladder to become the next uh it's Betty Davis, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm that means stepping up her game mm. in that way. Whereas like she didn't have to go that route. Like you, you can be you like you are a star on your own merits. You don't need to be the next Betty Davis.
0: Yeah. See, I, I just feel like she, she knew that she was being cast because of how she looked rather than her talent. Mm. And that's what planted the seed that
1: I thought she, she wanted to do this movie. I thought she, she jumped on I, it.
0: I mean, she, I'm sure that she did, but just in general, you know, seven year itch, gentlemen prefer blondes. Like, just all these movies where she was cast because she was hot and blonde, not necessarily because she could act.
1: And she is playing dumb in this movie. She's
0: playing real dumb in this movie, yeah. But yeah, part of me just feels like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that she got it in her head that she's not a good actress and started overthinking everything. And I don't know, It just part of me this time, I was like, oh yeah, she's really not that good. And I've seen her in other things where I thought she was completely serviceable. I thought she was
1: fine. Uh, Not a lot of subtlety, but you know what? This movie doesn't call for subtlety. Mm -mm.
0: When your movie is about two men in drag, you've kind of thrown subtlety out the
1: window. So watching it this time, one thing that jumped out to me right away was the idea of things aren't what they seem. And we get that immediately with, well, first of all, it starts off as like a harrowing car chase
0: which you're like good stunt work in that yeah like there was like a one car hit another I was like Jesus yeah one like spins around and stuff and you're like like, this is like back this dated to a time when police officers hung off the side of the car (laughs) yeah
1: Uh, but you know it, it starts off with like an action sequence and so you're like is this an action movie and then like no it turns into a different genre but uh, also with the uh, funeral parlor, like mm. it start it, on the facade. It's a funeral parlor, but guess what? No, it's a speakeasy. Mm. So uh, that whole the whole theme that of like you know drag or whatever you want to call it, every you know, surface presentation is presented right away, right in the beginning of the movie. I
0: guess this plays into the later theme when the mobsters are in Florida track them down, Uh and they're having their little mobster convention. (laughs) Yeah. And the assassin jumps out of the cake. Sure. The cake obviously not being all that it seems to be. Yeah, you're expecting a stripper.
1: (laughs) I have questions about that cake. Lay it on me, daddy-o. So the guy who made it, when the assassin's getting in it, he says, And
0: don't mess up the cake. I promise to bring back a piece of my kids.
1: What oven is big enough to bake a cake like that?
0: Well, I think you bake it in sections.
1: And then you piece it together with some buttercream?
0: yeah like you you bake half the bottom like you you cut it in half like uh uh top wise okay and if you're just putting like two or maybe even a quarter if it's just like the outer or the the inside just like the the doughy part and then you cover it with frosting you'd never know that it was in sections okay and then you just do the same with the layers as you And then place move it around like up. a
1: tube, a cardboard tube or something that somebody could hide in. Yeah, exactly. And then just paint that tube with frosting.
0: Uh there's a Netflix series about Christina something's fabulous creations or something like that. Oh right, like with that. the with the puppets. Yeah, but mm-hmm. like she makes huge like dollhouse size cakes and like it shows how she does it. Mm-hmm. So That hide assassins? Strippers. Uh, <laughs> both. Oh, okay, stripper assassins. <laughs> oh. The best um, kind of assassins. Modern day remake. This would be a stripper assassin. It'd be like a, 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 you know, Atomic Blonde. Charlize Theron like jumps out and like, you know, cracks the gangster's neck with her legs.
1: The first forty five minutes is just her in like complete darkness, thinking her thoughts, <laughs> uh, waiting to
0: jump out. I could see that in our house movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I know. I guess that plays into it. Like he's assassinated by something being not what it seems. Mm-hmm. I just like that it was
1: presented right away that this movie is all about how what's on the surface may not be what's underneath. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and it's celebrated in a certain way. Like no one's ever upset when the truth is revealed. I mean, I guess maybe the mob boss is cause he died. But when, <laughs> when, uh, Tony Curtis reveals that he's a man to Marilyn Monroe, she doesn't call him out on it and be like, how dare you lie to me? Mm. She's just like, Oh, no, I like you then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, same thing with the last line again. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. I don't know. That's kind of fun. Like, nobody's
0: upset. My feeling with Oswald Fielding the third. I think you're right. Mm. Uh, is that he, he gay, which <laughs> is why he was married so many times. Like, he was pressured uh... by his mom, so, like, he bit the bullet. But, you know, he gay. Mm. And so when Jack Lemon's like, I'm a man, he's like, Yeah, let's do it. Oh, that's
1: even better. (laughs) Mother will never approve, but I don't care.
0: Also, how old must his mother be? I know, and why was he seeking her approval still? Like, get over it. Yeah, that's some, like, you know, uh, Anthony Perkins shit right there. (laughs) Cut to his mother, and she's just a skeleton in the (laughs) bed. (laughs) Yeah, He was all for showing a lady a good time, though. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, Jack Lemmon bought it. I mean, he was enchanted by his wooing abilities. (laughs) Yeah.
1: He stayed up all night dancing. They blindfolded that mariachi band or whatever it was. Yeah,
0: yeah. I laugh so hard and it's the dumbest gag in the world, but it's when they both get in the elevator right when they first meet, mm-hmm. and it goes up like two and a half floors and then you see like the elevator hand wiggle and then go back down. <laughs> I like I just busted up laughing I'm like that is so fucking stupid. <laughs> but god damn it I laughed. It's good times. There was a couple really good just visual gags. So there's one when they're both in drag running from the gangsters and they run up dressed as like, you know, waiters and they come d- out of the elevator dressed in drag, and it looks like just one take that's done super rapidly. I'm like, that's a good job, Billy that's Wilder. Yeah, yeah, You, yeah, you yeah. got that one. I also laughed really hard when they're patting down the gangsters. Oh, and, okay. And uh, they, like, are patting down, like, the legs, and I'm like, they have the fucking biggest pant legs. <laughs> and a gun falls out, and they're like... It ain't loaded. And he pats <laughs> down the other leg, and all these bullets come out. I'm like... That was good. Yeah. That's a solid well, the, Yeah,
1: because then like, the next face is the guy kind of being like, Ugh, I told you.
0: <laughs> pretty
1: good. Pretty good. I laughed really hard about the dinghy that goes backwards because like Tony Curtis couldn't figure out how to drive it forwards. Oh. You mind riding backwards? It may take a little longer.
0: It's not how long it takes. It's who's taking it. Mm, yes.
1: And then like... That pays off later because, like, after their night on the yacht, he's, like, driving it back to yep. the dock backwards. Yep. It's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that, that pays off really well.
0: Uh, Tony Christ's character, uh,
1: kind of a manipulator. Yeah. Here's my thing. I don't get it. I don't get this idea of putting on some sort of false pretenses to woo somebody you've always had your looks well thank you but um it's never occurred to me to be false because then you always have to eventually
0: come clean or you have to live the lie yeah like how i always go downstairs to poop the burger king instead of uh doing it in front of my lover <laughs> <laughs> is that why they will not let you That's in what there anymore love means ryan <laughs> i'm sure and your lover knows on makeup you before you you know, lover wakes up in the morning oh and just be like, "Oh, I just woke up this way." Grow up. <laughs> That's not love. <laughs> love for you is taking a shit in front of your partner. That's what
1: I do when I tell someone I love them. That's how I show my love. <laughs>
0: I like, honey, I, come here. I got something to tell yeah, you. Yeah, I
1: grab their hands and like, I want to show you something. <laughs> pull them into the bathroom. Pull my pants down. <laughs> like, don't go, don't go. This is how you know I love you.
0: Wow! <laughs> <gasps> wow i'm glad we never got that far
1: <laughs> tim will tell you about the first time that i pooped in front of him
0: <laughs> you'd be pooping freely in front of me meanwhile i'd be running down the street to the taco bell i mean i say that we pee in front of each other with the door open basically at this point yeah yeah also, I'm sitting
1: on a toilet right now, so.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say we're sitting on two toilets facing eye to eye. <laughs> I could go if I want to. I'm going right now. Held together with tape. <laughs>
1: now is this uh, packing tape or electrical tape that you've got this together? I think it's gaffer's
0: tape. Gaffer. I really oh, that's wanted expensive. It to hold. Yeah. Well, it's gaffer's tape on yours. It's duct tape on mine. Okay,
1: because you're not as concerned of the uh, pressure.
0: I'm not putting on airs anymore. <laughs> I just know that you run through toilets like I run through tissues, so I had to, like, really strap it in there. <sighs> My
1: butthole is known to be gusty. <laughs> it's broken many a lesser toilet. <laughs> I'm glad you got a... a this is a, Oh, this is a Zern. Yeah, you know you got a good toilet when you got a Zern.
0: Well, I've seen porta-potties after you leave them. They're just all warped and disfigured. Yeah. Just uh, the the roof blasts off of him. They're as disfigured as you know, seeing Tony Curtis in a color picture <laughs> on the set of some like it hot.
1: Yeah, grotesque is the word they used.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, not far off.
1: <laughs> I want to say the ladies in this band and uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon also do not treat their instruments with respect.
0: Well, Jack Lemon's playing a fucking. Like, uh, what does he keep calling it? Like, bowed fiddle? The,
1: no, the bull fiddle.
0: Bull fiddle? Yeah,
1: that's what I was hearing.
0: I thought it was bow fiddle. Mm. But either way, like, fiddle I always imagine being smaller.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's why I was thinking bull, because it's big.
0: Yeah, he's playing, like, an upright bass. Mm-hmm. And he's also not bowing it. Yeah. But it gets shot several times. Yeah. And it doesn't, at least to him, have an impact on the sound, which... I'm not an instrumentologist, but I don't think your Stradivarius would sound the same with a bullet hole in it.
1: No. And um, I don't know the way they're just like tossing them around. Like that's not a hard case. He's throwing that thing around in Marilyn Monroe takes her ukulele and just like dumps it into that case for pronouncing it correctly. (laughs) Like they're just, they don't care.
0: Yeah. Maybe that's why these women bands didn't get much respect because it was just perceived that ladies would just toss their instruments around. Yeah. She huh. was using the drummer's brushes to chip the ice. Is that what she was using? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. I thought she had a, a standard, you know, <laughs> ice pick.
1: No, those are drum like drummer's brushes. And she was using the, <sighs> not the brush end, but the like other end for it. And the, those are precision tools, people. I didn't realize. And she was putting it on a symbol to like the ice. Like, I mean, they just don't oh.
0: care. Oh, I totally was like, that's a weird looking plate. Like it's not a flat <laughs> plate. Oh no! Oh wow! Yeah, they don't—they don't care about their instruments. Uh, yeah, that's ultimately the problem. Uh, they did care about getting drunk. <laughs> like moment, like word got around that like one of the bunks in this, <laughs> you know, uh, overnight train ride had a little bit of bourbon. Suddenly, like forty women were crammed into a sleeper car.
1: I did like the part when like it, it started to become too many people, and Jack Lemmon goes. But they had like salami and peanut butter.
0: And oh, they're having a good old time. That looked like a fun time. I would. I want to be in bunk seven A. Was it common practice to like make a cocktail in a hot water bottle, or is that like just what this movie did?
1: Well, twenty nine is still prohibition, yeah. so
0: like
1: I I don't know. Is is drink mixing paraphernalia
0: also illegal? It must be. <sighs> I don't know because you can buy like a tap for a keg. And not be 21. Okay. Because you can't drink from a tap. Right. Like, that has no booze. You still need the keg. Yeah. The keg
1: you need to be 21 for.
0: Yeah. Or at least a keg full of booze. And you could probably buy an empty one and not be 21. I think you can buy a lighter before you're 18, right? I don't think there's age restrictions on that. Yeah. I'm sure, according to Jessica Baxter, we could go to Virginia (laughs) and just go to the Philip Morris tour and get cigarettes with no age check. Yeah. They give them to you when you get off the plane. Fuck. Regardless of your age.
1: But, yeah, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's a... A vessel for them to do some mixing and uh, they have that through the entire movie which i thought was kind of
0: gross but also like well well it know. made me think like w- was it maybe common practice at a certain period in time like of course like we use it for you know hot water purposes and or douching for people who do that or if that was like another comic thing like it was it funny that they were using a hot water bottle for yeah these purposes? i think it's just supposed to be sort of a mm-hmm. gag okay. Yeah.
1: I really liked uh, Dolores, the trombone player. Um, I do not get her joke, though. Have you heard the one about the girl tuba player who was
0: stranded on a desert island with a one-legged jockey? We don't
1: get the whole joke. We just get the punchline, which is...
0: So the one-legged jockey said, don't worry about me, baby. I ride side saddle. That's how ladies ride.
1: Yeah, I'd like to speculate on what the joke is with the elements of the lady tuba player... Stranded on a desert island with a one-legged jockey go. Uh, Well, the
0: jockey probably is trying to, like... Oh, that doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, uh, side saddle. Um, what does the tuba have to do with it? That's what I want to know. Well, I thought that was something that with, like, her lips, like, she has to blow funny. Oh, but, I mean, if it's side saddle, I, like, the joke would have to be that, like... The, the tuba jockey takes- thinks that they're riding, you know, regular. Like, I don't know what regular riding is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe he said, uh, am I being too forward? And she goes, oh, I always ride side saddle. Cue laugh track. K <laughs> <laughs> K. Okay. Well, what does the tuba
1: have to do with it? Um, maybe the tuba gets in the way. And so he had, like, she's like, I can only have sex while playing the tuba and he's like oh that's okay i only ride side saddle wait the jockey says that or the tuba yeah the player? jockey says he only rides side
0: saddle the jockey only rides side saddle yeah so the jockey's a man the tuba player player a lady mm-hmm. and they're on a desert island with their instruments well i don't know with
1: horses why would the tuba come into play if it wasn't on the island with them
0: why would side saddle come to play with horn horses? Mm, so there's a saddle. There needs to be a saddle involved with this. Maybe it's a, a straddling joke. Oh, he has to ride side saddle because he only has one leg. Maybe. But wait, he can't ride side saddle if it's a sex joke. Like yeah. there'd be no way to get your peen in a V riding side saddle.
1: Yeah, for some reason I'm picturing her laying on her back and him riding her, but that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, I thought the jockey would be on his back. Hmm. I just don't know if this is an actual joke. Was the tuba player the one that looked real drunk in the uh in the sleeping box there? I don't know. Did they have a tuba player
1: in uh Sweet Sue's Society Syncopators?
0: I just remember it was like all the women crowded into that one sleeping car, and then it went to like uh Marilyn and and Tony Curtis like you know, chipping up the ice and then it like cut back to the sleeping car. And there's like the one chick who's like, well, I'll tell you something. And I was like, she is lit. <laughs> it's like, it's prohibition, but like for some reason, like every girl here has like a piece of, of liquor in some way. Cause like,
1: yeah, one of them was even a bottle that said vermouth on it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I was surprised. Uh, Meryl Monroe had bourbon but someone wanted to know if they had, like, rye whiskey from Manhattans. No, it was vermouth. They were like, do you have vermouth? We can make Manhattans. Yeah, but someone just... else had, like, a different type of whiskey. Oh, did they? Yeah. Scotch. That's what it was. Someone oh, else had right. scotch. And then someone else had vermouth. And then there was, like, salami and crackers. And I mean, I felt for Jack Lemmon. I felt his frustration because, like, you know, he thought he had it in the bag there. This was, like,
1: mother for you with the uh, the Darren Aronofsky's mother where it was just, like, Too many people when you want to be alone. (laughs) Yeah. Just invading your home.
0: Uh, All right. So I got a question for you. Okay. Classic drama question. Do you think Tony Curtis deserved to end up with the girl? To clarify, we're not like putting Marilyn Monroe as an object, but like in a classic drama sense of the hero getting what they want being the definition of a happy ending and this appearing to have a happy ending because Tony Curtis you know gets what he wants which is Marilyn Monroe what makes him deserving of Marilyn Monroe I guess I should ask I don't think
1: anything like yeah he's he's a deceptive mm-hmm. and uh um, really manipulative yeah in a not cool way but um I don't know in a movie this farcical okay I don't care. Okay. <laughs> like, great. Yeah,
0: you end up together. Do you have any feelings as to why he should have ended up with Marilyn Monroe versus Jack Lemon?
1: Well, because Jack Lemon uh, has his own suitor. <laughs> Jack Lemon is also sort of going the friend route, whereas Tony Curtis is sort of like, I'm not going to be able to be her friend, so maybe I should try and just be a new persona kind of thing. He does it in that way, where, which I always hate, where it's like... The woman confesses, "This is what I like in a man," and then he starts doing it, and then mm-hmm. suddenly she starts glasses with him. and whatnot. Yeah, that's like pretty gross.
0: Yeah, my only thought on it is like, Tony Curtis put in more work than Jack Lemon did. Sure, and that's my only reasoning.
1: But Tony Curtis never wore that shitty bathing suit. No, so <laughs> that took work.
0: <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he was more scheming in the end. But then, I mean, Tony Curtis was always the more scheming one. Like. What's to say that he wouldn't just uh, leave Eminem in the dust? Yeah, good point. I mean, he, I kind of thought. She's just another saxophone player in her brass orchestra. <laughs> she's, she's a sexy lady. You know, she'll do anything to get rid of those tromboners. Yeah, I don't know. Like, for me,
1: I, I just enjoyed the breeziness of the whole thing even though there's people being murdered somehow this movie still a lot
0: of people die for a
1: screwball comedy yeah like for some reason those scenes don't weigh the movie down Mm -mm. I don't know how but like you're sort of like yeah they died it's a mob hit whatever I'm gonna say at least 15 people die in this movie yeah people just gloss over that they're like ah ha ha ha." what a what a lighthearted comedy where lots of people die
0: (laughs) I mean, people are, like, fucking gunned down in cold blood in that garage scene. Yeah.
1: Goodbye, Charlie.
0: No, Spats, no. No, Spats, please, no, no. Like, they're lined Innocence. up execution style. The,
1: like, guy who fills up their gasoline, and he's like,
0: Hey, dreamers.
1: That guy's like, oh, can can I... And I'm, this is my in, internal monologue of him being like, oh, I, I wish I could have sent my son that one last letter.
0: <laughs> wow, you put a whole backstory to the gasoline jockey?
1: Yeah. He's like,
0: I, <laughs> I wish my last meal wasn't an apple and a bologna sandwich. Oh, God, my last meal was the big beef and cheddar at Arby's.
1: <laughs> Let's do a comic about the gasoline attendant and just like his his last day of life. and just how he makes a bunch of bad decisions (laughs) he blew his last fiver on a lottery ticket which did not win and he's like oh crumbs now i'll never pay that electric
0: bill of six dollars uh i do like the idea like he he like loads up on a burrito from taco bell (laughs) And then, like, washes it down with some, like, spinach and figs. And he's like, oh, man, I'll be plenty full for that date tonight. <laughs> Just got to get my shift at the garage over with. <laughs> you know, nothing puts me in the mood like a burrito before sex. <laughs> it was the 20s. They didn't know about A burrito digestion. and high fiber before sex. I mean, yeah. I'd read that comic. And he, he, he sends off his check for uh, vocational school so that he doesn't have to be a... Uh, gas jockey for the rest of his life Uh uh he's like i'm investing my future (laughs) hey my application came back today accepted great i can't wait to start this program (laughs) uh you know he's like i have two choices i could send this you know child support payment or i could put in my annual contribution to my ira (laughs) i better think of the future
1: (laughs) boy i'm glad i paid for that surgery for my dog He's gonna provide me years of comfort from now on. It's like in a stage fright where we built a whole world for Willie. Yeah, we're building a whole world for gasoline attendant.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm glad you call him by his PC name, whereas I call him Gas Jockey. I then I we say Gas Man. <laughs> <laughs> we would be before the uh, having that burrito and high fiber before sex. That's what they call me at the Honey Bucket Distribution Center. <laughs> gas man.
1: Yeah. Oh, no. This one got hit by Gas Man.
0: <laughs> We're going to have to retire this one. <laughs> Old Betsy. <laughs> she made it 20 odd years. <laughs> she had one day before retirement. <laughs> Poor Honey Bucket. <laughs> she never saw it coming. Anyway, Some Like It <laughs> Hot's a pretty good movie. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been 15 years since I last saw this one. Still good. Still good. Yeah. It's fun. Easy breezy. If you don't Easy like this breezy. movie, are you dead? You know, I think when we talked about with The Apartment way, way, way back in the day, like episode like, 12. 12, <laughs> Little known movie, The Apartment. <laughs> Billy Wilder doesn't direct to like draw attention to himself. Yeah. Like he lets the movie be the star. And I would say that's very true if something like it hot.
1: Yeah. And just to bring it full circle, that's what I was talking about with like the last line where it's sort of like, he doesn't care. Like if your last line of the movie, he, he just left it in because audiences laughed at it. That shows that like, he's not going in with, a intention Mm -hmm. like he's not trying to like make a movie that does this to you Mm -hmm. like he's literally just sort of like that got a laugh great keep it in because this movie's that's what the movie's for the movie's there to entertain you
0: yeah let's end on a laugh yeah like let's leave him wanting more and if this gets a laugh i'm like why do we need the rest of the movie i would say that maybe our next
1: movie is the exact opposite as far as what the director was intending for you But before we jump into that, I think we should take a little break.
0: I agree. It was his, his way of saying it's too painful and was trying to make everyone ha- soft. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think more would be like, I voted for Nader. <laughs>
1: <sighs> There's no way that's making the cut. Unless I, unless I bleep out people's names.
0: Maybe just the tail end of that conversation. We'll see what happens in the editing room. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. This is better when it's hot. Yeah. I'm referring to the spooge on my face. <laughs> <laughs> like the movie that we just talked about.
1: I am one of those people that likes it hot. This drink, specifically.
0: You're some like it clock, hot, orange, they sit. The, I, you orange a- clock, hot, work, they like it. I feel like you just cut up the words and like tossed them up in the air. And like how, whatever order they fall in is how I'm saying it. Uh, that's how I'm doing it. It's like the, uh, the uh, Tao Te
1: Ching. I'm like shaking the sticks and like rolling them out
0: so cosmopolitan thank
1: you that's another podcast we we'll, won't we'll be drinking those so cosmopolitan when we do sex in the city <laughs> and sex in the city 2
0: i haven't seen sex in the city 2 but i will always remember lindy west's review of it uh, talking about how it's like 2 hours and 50 minutes and she's like this is, which is entirely too long for a movie of its sort Mm-mm. and that she entered the movie in the bloom of youth <sighs> An exit with a family of field mice and her long gray mustache. <laughs> God, how are we going to get her on this podcast? I don't know.
1: Incessant nagging. I mean, she's appearing on The Daily Show, mm. so it's like,
0: God. Yeah, she's sort of a here. We are competing deal.
1: with The Daily Show again. Ah, <laughs> oh, this old rivalry, <laughs> Brenda. Brenda, can you can you book Lindy? Can you, I don't care. Just let her pick the movie. Don't don't just
0: nod yes. <sighs> Make it happen. It's so
1: hard. And now she's on her phone. Oh, she's probably making a note of it. But
0: God. Yeah. No, I give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, oh, maybe she's emailing. But then I just see her like uploading her Instagram story.
1: I mean, I I assume that's what millennials do. Maybe it's an Instagram story about us.
0: And she's yeah, she's always complaining about her bosses, whoever they are. <laughs> she's always Pikachuing a
1: Snapchat somewhere.
0: <laughs> Yeah, some sort of TikToking, a YouTube red hashtag. I might just be making up words at this point. I don't even know. Yeah, it's so hard to get free help these days. Anyway, Matt, what
1: are, what are we talking about? We're here. We're here for another movie now. We have to do a hard turn from light farce to
0: heavy satire. Yeah. So our next movie is. Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. You're going to have to play editor on this because I could yammer on for a long time about this movie. All right, well, let me jump in
1: first here. Yeah. I've only seen this movie thrice in my life. Third time was this viewing. And uh, first two times, don't really th- I think I got it. Okay. And this time around, uh, as a more worldly human being, as more adult and aware of what goes on in a capitalist society
0: I got a lot more out of it this time That's interesting that you say capitalist because I feel like this is an anti-communist film which would be anti-capitalist No, anti-communist would be capitalist But I uh, the the movie itself takes place in a communist society and it is anti-communist I could see that. Well,
1: okay. Well, maybe it's not so much capitalist as like political left versus right ideologies because you have the left wing writer guy saying that this boy is a victim of society and that's why he did what he did. And you also have the uh, conservative government people saying this boy is a victim of society doing what he did. So it's like they're both trying to use him to play up their version of the spin on the the acts that he's done. And you see that in today's society, too, with, like, for example, gun violence. Whenever there's a shooting, you see uh, guns right activists saying, like, oh, if there was somebody who uh, had a a good guy with a gun, this wouldn't have happened. And then you see the, you know, left, uh, left side saying, like, this is the reason that we shouldn't have guns in society like this. So I think that that's more what it's playing off of rather than, like, specifically, here's an argument against that. And more that, like, political differences can be played against each other and so in my mind if it's that general then it can also be applied to a capitalist society which is what we live in now
0: uh i mean i'll I'll agree with you that it's playing on sort of political extremes because really communism is a far left government and it's sort of infused with at least in this world, a very uh, socially conservative government. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of far left in terms of size of government. If we're thinking in like typical like liberal conservative fashions, like this is a very big government dystopia, where. This government also happens to be very socially conservative, very far to the right in terms of that, very law and order governments that, you know, we've seen in Nixon and Reagan and and definitely Trump. Like, he definitely does the law and order thing. But all the crimes perpetrated by institutions here are definitely government institutions. Like, the milk bar is not committing any crimes against Alex. Uh, the the little music store, the crazy music store that he goes to, is not perpetrating any crimes against him. It's like the jail, which they definitely show is being run by the government, mm-hmm. and it's the the uh, minister of the interior, definitely like a branch of the government, like part of the, the the cabinet and the the parliament or however the Brits do it. I don't know. And you know, knowing that this was written as sort of a response to cold war era paranoia it's more to me a worry about like government overreach and the problems of that
1: okay uh i'll take that i agree uh but i think what i i would go one more step and say that boxing this movie in to say that it's an indictment of communism is
0: Short-sighted. I mean, that's not all the movie is. Right, but th- that's a, a that's a slice of what the movie is. I think it's bigger. You can balloon it out to just saying that it's an indictment of
1: politics and like, regardless of like, sure, it takes place in a communist society. I'll give you that, but I don't think that you would have trouble putting this same uh, idea into today's. I th-
0: I think it would take capitalist tweaks, society have a problem, but I don't think
1: it's in the movie. Maybe not maybe not maybe that's my projection on it. I'll I'll take that
0: this to me is like Rick Santorum's government like if Rick Santorum were president or if Mike Pence were government this is the sort of thing that he would instill you know because Mike Pence is all about gay conversion therapy. And things like that, right.
1: which is interesting because when he is converted, it's the priest who speaks up for him and is like,
0: "No, I, no, I, I, got so much to say about that sort of stuff." <laughs> While we're on the topic, I just want to say like it's the, the the Ministry of the Interior is telling the priest like what it is to be a good Catholic or Christian or whatever or Protestant or whatever religion it is, mm-hmm. whereas the priest is actually fighting for like individual liberty and the you know the right to determine be one's their own, own destiny. moral yeah. compass, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is how I think a lot of politicians are now. Like they define what it is to be a good Christian or Catholic or Protestant or whatever. Like, and meanwhile, the priest is like, no, that's not what it is. That's just a thought I have on that specific scene. Before we get too much in, because like this is like a top ten movie for me. Like, oh, this I no, I love this movie. Okay, you pick a topic, I'll be able to talk about it for hours. Is this your favorite Kubrick film? This is my favorite Kubrick film. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. Uh, okay. We did The Shining with the Dead Beats uh, a couple months ago, and I loved it. But revisiting this one, I was like, no, nah, this one's still my favorite. And remember in Back to the Future where we're talking about how it's like subtle filmmaking, but like subtle filmmaking like beats you over the head. Mm-hmm. This I feel is the exact opposite because it's so big and so flashy like it's a very visually like aggressive movie yeah but i feel that most of what it's trying to do or say is in like the small almost overlooked details like when the the minister is saying soon we may be needing all our prison space for political offenders that's painting this picture that they're arresting people who disagree with the government okay and let and trying to figure out a way to get violent criminals back out on the streets. And I always feel that that, that that's a super communist thing to arrest people who disagree with you instead of l- locking up people who actually are a threat to society. Well,
1: more fascist than communist, I would say.
0: That's what Putin does.
1: Yeah. But I mean, isn't that what Trump's trying to do? Isn't that what
0: uh, Hitler did? Yeah, I mean they they both do it. Uh, it. I mean both are are products of a big government, like fascism and communism, are the right and left of big government. You know Trump's obviously on the right and the fascist side, whereas you know communism is on the left side of big government. Like you know the right likes to say that they're small government, but they're actually not. They're just for a different type of government but yeah little things like that and because it's just it's almost a throwaway line when he says that like there's no big set piece there's nothing to really draw your attention He's it's just, walking just part down of the, the dialogue. line yeah. yeah but it paints a picture of what this world is and
1: it's presented in a way that kind of makes sense it's like if you are able to just remove these bad urges from people then like it should be fine like, everything should be okay. And they do effectively do that. Like, the results are there. And I think that that minister or whatever his name is does make that argument. Once the priest comes up, he's sort of like, Yeah, we might be re- removing his free will, but guess what? Can you argue with these results?
0: We're not concerned with motives, with a higher ethics. We are concerned only with cutting down
1: crime. Yeah. With relieving the ghastly congestion in our prisons he will be your true christian ready to turn the other cheek ready to be crucified rather than crucified sick to the very heart at the thought even of killing a fly reclamation joy before the angels of god the point is that it works that's another thing that made me think of like capitalism where it's like it doesn't matter the way we get to it as long as our numbers are right.
0: So I partially disagree with you because I feel that programs like No Child Left Behind is purely a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Like they, they look at test results and and scores of standardized tests and make judgments on where to allocate money just based on the outcomes of standardized tests rather than whether or not kids are actually learning things right so this is the sort of thing that i feel is like the program that the minister of the interior is implementing here is something that we see on the far right like this is a far left government in terms of like it's you know sort of a a variation of, of communism here but the type of social conservatism that we're seeing imbued in it is very indicative of the right. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by like, it's very much making the argument that both extremes are the same. I wouldn't say that they're the same. I would say that they're, they're very different, but like both can be weaponized. Okay. Just because I don't think you'd see on the left sort of this uh, almost religious indoctrination that we're seeing in this one but there um, is
1: like an emphasis on reform of criminals rather than uh rehabilitation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean that would definitely go more to the right. But I mean you could also argue that what they're doing is rehabilitation. Well, that's what I mean is like yeah, that they, they that seems like
1: a more left idea of like well, if we can get these people cured and get them out, then like what's the problem, you know? Like that, to me, seems more of a left idea than, like, just lock them up forever and get them off the streets, which seems like a right idea. Yeah, it could be. Or Although their, them, their
0: idea know. of uh, rehabilitation and reform is definitely borderline torture, Yeah, really. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this weird mix. But, I mean, that's also how, like, communism was sold, was that it was going to be sort of this, like, far-left government thing, but it was going to ultimately give more individual freedoms because people wouldn't have to worry about money and that you'd be free to pursue your life's passions because you wouldn't have to worry about food or rent or hospital bills or anything like that. Mm, But people are fucking corrupt. I read animal farm, (laughs) but I mean, ultimately the problem is that like there was a conservatism of sorts in the Soviet union and like, a strict adherence to no religion, you know, it was, you know, they didn't want the Pope to be above, you know, anyone in the Politburo. And there, there was strict adherence to that, but, I mean, that turned into them, like, actively imprisoning and torturing people who practice religion, which, you know, goes against their giving more individual freedoms to people. So it's like, that's sort of what's on showcase in Clockwork Orange, I feel, is that, in their idea of giving people more freedoms or actually just taking them away. Mm-hmm. Something that was interesting to me this time around was that
1: the first act you're definitely like Alex is a shit. He's a horrible human being who definitely needs to either be locked away or something needs to happen. Um, but I think what was weird to me was that by the end
0: I'm like almost rooting for him to get back to who he was. See, I was thinking about this movie. I was like, he's the ultimate anti hero because, yeah, we're not really on his side in the first act. And if you are, you're a piece of shit. Well, yeah, because <laughs> he's like literally like raping people. Yeah. <laughs> he's terrible. And like maiming people for fun, for kicks. Yeah. But no, you're right. By the end, we're sort of like, we were talking about this in some like at it, hots like, you know, if we define a happy ending by the hero getting what he wants, is Alex becoming the little shit that he was a happy ending? I mean, it's it's a real mixed bag. But if he didn't, it would not be a happy ending. Like, yeah. if, if he's, he remained having his free will robbed like of barfing him. barfing whenever he thought about sex. Like, is that really a happy ending? But I don't think what we get
1: is necessarily a happy ending either. Cause that just means that he's back to his shitty self. And I love that about this movie. Like I love that it like really toys with your emotions. And I think he does it on several levels because it does it on that level. I think that like music plays a huge role in toying with your emotions in this. Like, for example, when he finally gets out of prison after the treatment and he goes home to his family and there's like the lodger there. Um, it plays this like, <sighs> like, sappy violin music like yeah. what's going to happen to me then I mean that's my room is in there's no denying that this is my home also what suggestions have you my p to make but it's like no you're a piece of shit you've, yeah. you've made your family sad and, like, you do not deserve to come back because of what you did. Because you murdered somebody. But the music that's playing is supposed to m- make us feel sympathy for Alex. So, that manipulation, it's like an undercurrent that keeps going throughout the film.
0: And, see, part of me feels that, like, sometimes how, like, the narrator's always kind of, like, like, Alex is telling you how you should feel. I mean, yeah. Part of me feels like that's part of, like, an extension of his reform is... They're conditioning him how to feel during these scenes mm. and like the narration or like the music or, or things like that is telling the audience how they should feel during these scenes yeah. even if it doesn't necessarily make sense. like we shouldn't feel too bad for Alex like yeah, he doesn't have a ever. Like, <laughs> yeah like he doesn't have a place to live. He also raped and murdered people. yeah like how bad are we supposed to feel that he does not have a place to sleep? On like day one of getting out of jail early, early.
1: yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> but I do like yeah. there is
0: a certain amount of pangs I have for him in that moment, and and so like how programmable are are we as opposed to Alex? Like we're just as programmable as he is. Yeah, and they illustrate that point during the
1: like uh, you know famous eye open scene because like when he freaks out is when they start playing uh, Beethoven. Ah! And he's like It's a sin! It's a sin it's a sin? sin? What's all this about sin? Using Lord McMahon like that? You are not up to anyone. Hey, just drop music. For him, that's a sacred thing, but it's like it you can use that in any way you like, you know, and a government can, a filmmaker can, and you know, Kubrick makes that point because it's like you in that moment are Alex with your eyes glued to the screen and he is pointing out that like I am manipulating you as you're
0: watching this movie. Couple points on the music real quick. So, one when I watched this as a youth, I used to think that the inclusion of Alex liking classical music was just to show that there's like beauty within the beast. Okay. And that even like a horrible person can appreciate beauty but like now i watch it and like you know the third reich like the nazi regime were big on art like they were big on wagner they were big on operettas they were big on you know visual arts of the day paintings and whatnot hitler loved pastry (laughs) and so now i feel that it's not necessarily like oh like an animal can like art it's that often someone or something awful does like art and that they aren't mutually exclusive. They often go hand in hand. Yes.
1: Yeah. And they twist it to, you know, uh, fit their needs.
0: Also, uh, this the last time I watched this, I really noticed it, and it came across this time as well, is Alex is applying for the, uh, what do they call the Ludovic treatment? And what happens is the Minister of the Interior comes to check out his little cell that he has going. And he he sort of pokes around, and he sees like a bust of Beethoven on his desk, and he looks at the nudie pictures that he's got pinned up on the wall, and he's about to leave. And something that I only really notice in high definition, I didn't watch it, like I saw this movie in a theater once, and I didn't even notice it then, but uh, I I notice it when I watch it at home, is that right before he leaves, he comes back and he sees a framed picture of Beethoven as well. So it's like, he lifted up the bust, looked at it, kind of put it down, didn't think much of it, and he... Picks up the framed picture, looks at it, then looks at the bust. And, like, you can see that he's making this mental connection. Like, oh, he likes Beethoven. Yeah. And then puts the picture down and walks out. And, like, you know, some, like, 30 minutes goes by before Alex is in the treatment. And Ludwig van's the ninth, is playing. And it went from me thinking that this is sort of uh, unhappy happenstance
1: ode to joy is very popular
0: right i used to think and they're playing it during like concentration camp videos so i went from thinking like oh this is sort of an unhappy coincidence that they happen to be playing you know proud germanic music over images of third reich atrocities to me realizing like oh no they're purposely putting in something that he loves to rip it out of him to make mm-hmm. like to take something that he finds joy in and to ruin it for him and to him.
1: associate it with something that is
0: clearly atrocious mhm yeah and uh, that just made me realize that you know this is the government purposely trying to rip joy from an individual's heart i mean yeah i i agree but
1: i also like feel that there is a certain amount of trust that alex is putting into this study i feel like it's not just i want to get out as early as i can but it's also like i want to maybe erase this part of my life so i can start over again and so by volunteering for this study slash treatment he's subjecting himself to whatever and they do that. They they really dig into his core. And so like he kind of gets what he asked for in a way. And I don't feel that that is so much the government trying to rip away his rights as him saying, I'm giving up my rights to get out of prison, mm-hmm. which is a different way of thinking about it than someone trying to take away your individuality as someone giving up their individuality.
0: I mean, he is sort of signing it away though. He has to sign a bunch of papers before he can do any of this, but he's willing to do It's the thing is is
1: like, so I don't know. I guess I saw, I, I didn't see the scientists as arms of the state so much as individual entities just that happen to be funded by the government. Maybe, I don't know, but it's like, they're just doing science work mm. and it happened to coincide with this thing this is just this a thing.
0: standard anal cancer research team yes more or less and alex is just uh, a paid participant yeah yeah okay. he's
1: volunteering for it uh, Maybe maybe doesn't know the full scale of what he's getting into but uh <laughs> feels that it's it a it, you know it benefits him mm-hmm. and also maybe there's some some important uh data that'll come out of it <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just I never got the impression that they were necessarily government funded, but I mean that makes sense. They yeah. would be.
0: They probably would be working close with the penal system. That is, I mean, yeah, they they definitely the prisons there are run by politicians and in the government in in the movie. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far into this movie without mentioning. I mean, I'm assuming the hero of yours, Wendy Carlos. Fucking it. Build as Walter Carlos, just a uh,
1: dead name. Yeah. But um, Stanley Kubrick doesn't really like original music for scores, likes to use classical composers. This one, loaded with Wendy
0: Carlos. So, uh, full disclosure, I fucking hate Switch on Bach. How do you feel about this soundtrack? In the context of the movie, I love it. It's like a I... fake Moog Bach basically and Beethoven and they do uh the you know William Tell Overture right, right. and things like that and I think they do like an orchestral version of, of uh Scheherazade when he's like imagining like the biblical mm-hmm, shit mm-hmm. which by the way I we we gotta get to uh Malcolm McDowell's performance in this but when he's being fed grapes and he's like looking at like the naked women around him I was like that's some capital A acting <laughs> right there that's why you cast an actors for that face I mean, one of my favorite things is...
1: We always help our friends, don't we?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. At the end, just... (laughs) Well, so, they, in The Simpsons, you remember that episode where Mr. Burns... Homer punches Mr. Burns. Yeah. And he's suddenly self-reliant. He can drive, he can feed himself, he can do all sorts of stuff. And Smithers is no longer needed. Yeah. And, you know, the episode rolls around, and Mr. Burns is going back to being helpless, but he still thinks... That he's self reliant, mm-hmm. and Smithers is like peeling Spanish peanuts and feeding it to him, and he opens his mouth like Alex here, and I'm just like, what a perfect like little illusion. Because it, in that episode of The Simpsons, it's like Mr. Burns is sort of believing he has these individual freedoms, even though he cannot drive mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he cannot do things for himself, but he's conditioned himself to think that. And it's a remarkable thing. And this short time you were gone. I learned to be completely self-reliant. And the writers on The Simpsons like saw directly into the soul. In the nineties. In the nineties. Saw directly into what they were writing and was like, you know what? He's not reformed. Like, this is like a clockwork orange situation. Cause yeah. yeah Mr. Burns opens his mouth the same way. And that's a scene where like the little subtleties of like what they're talking about and how the minister of the interior is going to use Alex against the left wing writer. That's what I mean. It's like to stay in power and get to get those votes. I mean, he's basically like a Kim Davis in that. Like
1: she's just choice choice. I mean, she, she made a move and now she's, we're either going to, turn her into our hero for not issuing uh, marriage licenses to anybody or she's suddenly this enemy of the left where it's like oh well now we can't get our own marriage licenses because we're gay and it's like that's what happens it happens in any political climate you find a flashpoint and then you politicize it you know and it's like we are so full of them these days watching this it felt like oh well, they're taking way too long to get this going you know <laughs> Like he should be this this today it would happen immediately you'd have like fox news and cnn in that recovery room being like blah 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 blah, and you could see you could see the headlines going either way and i just think that's
0: very savvy for 72 is that what this movie is i mean there's a lot of things in this movie and i don't know if it comes from the book or if it comes from kubrick but that sort of predate I mean granted Nixon ran 68 And he was definitely the law and order candidate And they used law and order a couple times in this movie mm-hmm. But also once Alex Is like uh, rehabilitated Or reformed or wh- whatever you want to say he is And he's let loose And the cops That used to be his you know, his droogs uh, Pick him up They take him out To like the, the sticks In a fucking like armored Police vehicle like, it's not like they have a normal police car. Like, it's like a half-tanker. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is totally, like, pre-militarization of the police that we're dealing with now. Because mm-hmm. they're taking them out there in, like, a military vehicle, even though this is, like, an era in which, like, civilians don't even own guns, nor do cops. Like, they have, like, bully sticks. And, like, the fact that they need an armored vehicle for their, like, beat car is crazy yeah good job movie or book or whoever <laughs> put that part in there because like that's what we're dealing with now that
1: plays into again like once he becomes a member of society again after his quote-unquote reforming he gets held under the water for a long time i tried to hold my breath for that long i could not do it there must have been some sort did of did you
0: play. take in uh, account the cut the cut yeah the i cut. started
1: after the cut And it was still too long for me to do it. It
0: it is a really long time. And he's struggling. The idea of being like hit while underwater. So like you'd be like coughing up air. It's a long time. And I was not able to do it. So I don't know exactly how they did that scene. There's got to be some oxygen device down there. That's
1: what I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that idea once again of now we're supposed to have pity mm-hmm. for alex because like oh now the state is so repressive of him as a person but it's like no fuck that guy did you forget that from uh, act one i did like because in those moments i'm just like oh this is shitty this is an, a total example
0: of the state just but like it, but it's also like a prisoner's rights thing it's like yeah he did something shitty but like i also still have a sense of empathy like you know, yeah, he did something awful, but that doesn't mean that he's not human. Mm-hmm. Like, to go back a little bit how I said, like, the the movie does its most world building in the smaller moments. This is one of those, because there's no flashy lighting. There's no, like, the biggest thing in the scene is the score. Like, when he's being hit with the baton or the billy club, and it's got, like, the sort of wow, like, echoey effects, like, the synth echo. yeah. This isn't super flashy filmmaking in this scene, but it's so, like, it it makes such a mark on me. Like, I feel bad for Alex. Like, I'm, you know, you said you were holding your breath. Like, you know, you're sympathizing with him by trying to, like, live through his plights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, he's a shitty person, but, like, he's still human. And, like, that doesn't mean that, like, he should be tortured like this, you know? No,
1: but I mean, it also proves the fault of the state because, like, I think it even says he gets like 14 years for murder. Yeah. And uh, assault. And it's just like violent offenses,
0: you need to be put away. Like, he may have been underage. It doesn't matter. Ah, so you're for uh, life imprisonment for
1: minors. No, but I'm for a better reformation for violent criminals. Like, if you're a drug offender, fine. If, if, as a minor, you can get out. Uh-huh. But, like, if you are a violent offender, it needs to be more than, like, hey, we cured him, now he's free, go. Like, it needs to be something more. So- also, uh, violent offenders need more than 14 years. It doesn't matter if you're less than 18
0: how much is appropriate? A hundred years. Really? No. I, I mean, know. that is life imprisonment then. I really don't know. I, um,
1: like teenagers who commit violent crimes, that's not necessarily a question for punishment. It's a question for psychiatric care. Time. Like it's not necessarily a thing that needs like a mandatory minimum or blah, blah, blah. It needs to be evaluated not from a state level, but from a personal psychiatric level and okay. i don't, i don't know I don't know what that means, but like that's how I feel but if
0: Alex was seventeen, what do you think his sentence should be? Well, I'm not professionally in. but you were just saying fourteen years isn't enough, but he's also a high school student in this movie yeah, I think
1: I think a psychiatric professional needs to come in and say, "Will he commit these crimes again mm-hmm. Will he? But under does the reform, he under the
0: rehabilitation that he just went through, he's likely not to commit those crimes again.
1: Well, I mean that's the problem with with the whole situation. I'm not equipped to make those decisions, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that there is uh, necessarily like this technique that you can just use and then everybody's cured either. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a thing that it's a case by case basis. But definitely, violent offenders need to spend more than 14 years in prison. Because violent offenders are the ones who are most likely to commit again and at an elevated level. So it's like if you're a rapist at 17,
0: mm, you should probably spend some time in prison with some psychiatric care involved. I'm going to set you up with the mom from happiness. You guys can all vote for your hard-on-crime Republicans. Oh, so you would just let like a, a 17-year-old
1: rapist go, be like, don't do that again, <laughs> slap on the wrist...
0: Uh, no, but Don't I... Don't do
1: it when you're 18, because then we're really going to have to punish you. Is I'm that not, what you do? But
0: I'm also not advocating for 15-plus years imprisonment. How long
1: would you advocate for?
0: Well, I am going back to your case-by-case basis. Oh, okay.
1: In this case, what would your, uh, judgment be?
0: Well, Alex, from my, uh, professional psychiatric <laughs> analysis of him, 14 years probably wasn't enough. In Thank you. Alex's specific instance, because... A, he was a repeat offender. B, he showed no remorse. C, he fully intended to commit these crimes again. Whereas if an individual legitimately showed remorse or had no intention of doing it again or maybe was coerced into doing it in the first place, that'd be a different story. Like if
1: they accidentally dropped a penis sculpture on someone's head?
0: Well, no, (laughs) that's the deal breaker here is that he took a valuable piece of artwork and I see someone. you have a reproduction of it here in your home. <laughs> uh, mine's fluffy. I use it as a pillow. <laughs> we haven't even talked about like the aesthetic of the movie. But... I mean,
1: Hey, have you ever seen a uh, Stanley Kubrick film? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's is the setting.
1: It's here in this movie.
0: Uh, but wait, 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 let's not get too far, far off. Uh, uh, uh Wendy Carlos. Oh, right, you right. were in a group called Walter Wendy. Yeah. 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 As a, uh, tip of your cap to wendy carlos yeah
1: because it was a synth group and uh i mean wendy carlos is a synth pioneer
0: i mean not just a synth pioneer like a trans pioneer yeah 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 i mean i can't think of that many people in the public eye like switched on bach was a big hit in its day
1: huge yeah
0: i can't think of anyone that was openly trans in that period in time but she was absolutely yeah
1: and there was I read a whole thing about the Moog synthesizer and how the idea of this new instrument and a new form of musical expression opened a lot of doors for women and uh, trans people in a way where it's like this is a new form of expression and uh, we relate to that because we are trying to find new ways to express ourselves. And-
0: I mean early theremin pioneers were usually women like Clara Rockmore one of the more prominent theremin players. Lady (laughs) makes a lot of sense, right? I actually have a CD of oboe music written and performed by like female composers and a female oboist. And she specifically chose it because woodwind instruments were seen as unfeminine up until like 1945. (laughs) One of the pieces actually has like a letter written by like a prominent Viennese composer of like the 1870s talking about how unattractive women are when they play woodwind instruments and things like that. And they should stick to pretty things like the piano or singing. And I feel like something like the theremin or uh moog is, is untouched by that boys club. You know, this is a new instrument. You can't say that it belongs to men Mm -hmm. at this point. Like it belongs to everyone. First come first serve.
1: Yeah. Also kind of no one, because it's this unwieldy thing that no one knows how to tame quite yet.
0: Uh, well, especially a theremin. I don't, I've never seen a moog up close, but theremin's like, you can't even fucking touch the things. Yeah. Beasts. <laughs> Women or
1: moogs? All of them. It is pronounced moog.
0: Moog. I'm sorry. It's okay. Apologies. Just letting you know.
1: Letting the public know.
0: Hit it or quit it. Malcolm McDowell in this movie.
1: I mean, when he's in those little Y fronts, as they <laughs> call them in England.
0: Pretty cute. When when he was, like, walking around, like, scratching his butt. Yeah. I'm like... Mm.
1: I know. He gets his dick grabbed by yeah. that by that correctional officer dude.
0: Yeah, no, if he, if he, if he was my student, <laughs> sexual misconduct written all over that. <laughs> it's a hit situation. Can you imagine anyone other than Malcolm McDowell playing this part. He's attractive, so, like, you you know, when someone's attractive and evil, there's that, like, mixture of emotions that I think is important in a Mm -hmm. role like this. And then, like, we also get him in his skivvies. Malcolm McDowell's never quite as right for a movie as he is here. Like, Kubrick really saw what he wanted and, like, knew precisely what it should be. Because I don't know, name another Malcolm McDowell movie. Star Trek Generations. Uh, another pillar of cinema. <laughs> yes. I really
1: don't know much more that he's been into. Yeah, this. exactly. <laughs> but
0: if you look up his IMDb credits, like he's been in 150 things. <laughs> you know, he's in Caligula. Oh, of course. Um, I mean, he's been in a lot. He of probably stuff. was first in line for that. He's like, mm, sign me up. Uh, you know, he's been in a lot of stuff, but like this is what he's known for. And I think it's just excellent casting. Like even those like naked ladies all over this movie, he was also like, you know what? This character depends on being attractive. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's not objectified a little bit in this movie either. To go back to little details, when the rival gang was about to do the old, uh, in out, in out on, uh, the weepy old Devochka. Watching high def. I'm like, you can see that they're really good grabbing her hard like there's yeah like, her
1: skin turns red yeah
0: like there's finger marks left on where they're grabbing her i'm like oh like even if you consented to that that's gotta be unpleasant
1: i was thinking this time around how would this movie be different if instead of we a male protagonist we had a woman protagonist uh being controlled by the state how would that be different Unless they make it a crime to read Judy
0: Bloom novels, I don't <laughs> think they'd be in any trouble. Whereas well, if, but
1: that's what I mean. Like this movie is so male centered. Oh and yeah. women are just really uh, really. I mean, we objects. could talk about
0: how you know Stanley Kubrick would very well maybe a subject of the Me Too movement. And I mean this movie does nothing to argue against that. There's no
1: three dimensional woman in this movie, like, that,
0: and that's what I mean. Like,
1: so what? What if you took these same circumstances, like a government that is trying to take away moral choice from a woman rather than a man? What would that look like? I mean, it would look like *The Handmaid's uh, Tale*, probably.
0: Abortion. Yeah, I was gonna say *Handmaid's yeah. Tale*. General mutilation, uh, forced abortions, things like that. I just, I don't no know, access to birth control.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Just a remake of this movie, but from uh, a woman's perspective. I mean, I think
0: you're right. I think it would just look more like Handmaiden's Tale. Is there any aspect we have not covered? Like, you you name something, and I'll blabber on forever about it. How'd you feel about those coffee tables at the milk bar? Oh, with those colorful merkins. Like, the, the, the milk bar in particular, I remember when I first saw this movie, I was like, how is this a book? Like, how do you write this? What are you
1: describing?
0: Yeah. And it's like, even if you were to write down, like, if you or I were to dictate the interior of the milk bar, would people just think we're insane? <laughs> like, can can you describe this in words? Like, parlayed to a different, another person, a a a a blind third party, yeah. <laughs> And have them understand what you're trying to say. I don't know. Well, because like after they go out, you know, uh, drooging or horror showing or whatever you want to call it, and they go back to the milk bar for a nightcap, and it's like the milk comes out of like the, the statues nipples.
1: nipples. yeah. I remember they I you was have to pull a joystick it. for. It.
0: Yeah, I was like, what the hell is that red thing? <laughs> and then like he pulls it, but I was like it looks like a dildo that this mannequin is about to like squat on. But, but
1: that's what you pull to get the milk out of their It's a boobie.
0: lever to get milk out of the mannequin's nipple. Mm-hmm. And like, if you were reading this, you'd think it was written by a crazy person. <laughs> like, it looks crazy to see it. Like, you yeah. know, watching the movie, you're like, oh, this movie's made by a crazy person. <laughs> but to read it, you'd think that the book was nonsense.
1: I mean, I was thinking about that a lot this time around. And I know that like, Kubrick likes to play with sets and production design, but like there were some things where like, for example, when they're, when he's walking around going to the record shop, I was like, well, this is a set. And I looked it up, no, that's a real place. Oh, that really? existed. Yeah. Like it was a fancy club slash bar. I don't know, but the, like, do you remember with the all jacket the mirrored... that he
0: was wearing in that scene? Oh yeah. Pulling it off. Yeah. Or nay. Yay. Yeah, In that time period, yeah. Okay. I David feel Bowie only Prince could sh- pull that off. Oh, but.
1: Well, I mean, that was like mm. the height of glam, or the beginning of glam, so.
0: I don't even think David Bowie could pull off that jacket.
1: Well, I don't know. All the scenes in uh, the home where he lived, like his parents' home, especially the living room scene, I was like, this is straight out of a Gregoraki movie, where it's like the background behind the person is so stylized and bizarre that you're like, no one could live here. And I was. not There was a t-
0: different wallpaper on like each. Wall. I know
1: that's what I mean. I was like, is is this an actual home that they just filmed in, or is this a set? And like, I couldn't find any information one way or the other. But it was just like, this is nuts. So production design.
0: Uh, question for you: Have you ever had a three-way like Alex's three-way?
1: <laughs> Where like somebody would get up halfway through and start putting on their clothes, and then I would take them off. Like, and-
0: I counted. There was at least four loads blown in that. Like. I guess he could have saved them like he could have like fucked one to completion and then like she got up and started putting her clothes back on but like to my count, I'm like hmm seems like he must have come like at least four times during this.
1: I mean this might be too much information but one time as a early 20 year old I tried to see how many times I could come in one day. The answer is 13. And <laughs> what?
0: Not enough information, if you ask me.
1: <laughs> By the end, it was like, this isn't fun anymore.
0: <laughs> 13?
1: Yeah, I did that. in. Less what were than, you jacking off to? Uh, Various forms of porn slash my imagination. I was also 23, so it was like, I get a boner at a stiff breeze. So, But yeah, I mean, I could see it. Yeah, I'll bet I could do that.
0: Wow. I mean, Although- I could not... <laughs> I you're, put everything into round one,
1: and then you're like, like "I need a uh, repose.
0: I need a full 48 hours of 48
1: uh, <laughs> hours." God, I'm like, I'm like a jackrabbit. I'm like, okay, well, it's been 10 minutes. Let's get going again.
0: Well, yeah, but I'd like cum gallons. Well, same here.
1: I mean, it's like it's all in the first one, but then like I'm like I'm ready to do another one, and then it's like you know one cc. Anyway, A Clockwork Orange. Um, hit it or quit it.
0: <laughs> hit it. I don't think I've actually even done justice to how I feel about this movie. Like, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. And I also feel like I've just piled on loads of my thoughts onto your, like, I think this about the movie. And I'm like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. And here's all my proof why you're wrong. I mean i liked it don't get me wrong i i i think i I think we both liked it but it's just like your theories i'm
1: like nope shutting it down (laughs) i think we're actually saying the same thing to be
0: honest i think we're saying completely opposite things well you would (laughs) Uh, and that's what
1: makes this podcast interesting folks (laughs) that's why you've been here for 100 episodes wow been a hundred episodes matt Mm -hmm. and i think rather than jump right into 101 i need to take a little break you've earned it i think you know two years of uh one podcast every week i think we're just gonna put the brakes on for a minute Mm -hmm. and uh we're gonna go on a little hiatus but that does not mean that there will not be content every monday good but your regularly scheduled programming might take a minute and i don't really want to put a date on it quite yet because I don't really know when we'll be able to jump back in, so bear with us. We've got some good bonus content coming up for you, including an interview with an actual Hollywood costume designer, and uh, maybe some uh, maybe some uh, short and sweets with a certain local podcast. film podcast. Yeah. But I think we're gonna make one on one a surprise. I'm not gonna announce what I want to do what i don't know we're gonna wait What we're gonna wait uh, and when it shows up it'll be like Trevi it'll just be like there in your feed there you are and then everyone will be like, oh, this movie anyway that's where we're at
0: did we ever find a theme between these two movies one is subtle directing governed by the like in your face elements. And the other is in your face directing governed by subtle elements. Is that is that good enough for you? Can we can we move on?
1: Yeah, let's plug our junk and get out of here.
0: Follow us on Twitter at x-rated movies. You know, at this point, you can
1: also check out our website, which is
0: xratedmovies.com. Follow us on Facebook at ratedxmovies.com. And you know what? If at this point you haven't
1: given us love on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Bublago Podcasts, now's your time. Go give us
0: some stars. Give us some reviews. That's how you spread
1: the word about this
0: thing. It's literally super duper easy. If you look up super duper easy in Webster's, it has a definition of giving us five stars.
1: If you gain any enjoyment from this podcast and want to show any kind of love back to us, that's the easiest way to do it. And we appreciate it. Until then, we're taking a break. Enjoy our bonus content. And we'll be back in a number of weeks with a Mystery 101 episode. That's like a clean slate. (sighs) I can't wait to spring it on you because it's my choice. (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: until whenever keep reaching for that rainbow bye bye